Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Fraud, imposter, no talent hack. Imposter syndrome makes even the most talented developer feel unworthy to even look at code. It affects all of us in different ways throughout our careers. In this episode, we take a look at the five types of imposter syndrome as defined by Dr. Valerie Young. Each one has its own issues and ways to overcome it. But before we get started, Will, what's been making you feel like a fraud this week? Uh, not much of anything, but we did get my daughter a cell phone now. So Yikes. Yeah, we went through that uh, last Friday. It seems to be okay, largely because you know she's actually being kind of helpful with it so far. So it's still early in the game. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it it's all right. So yeah, did that. You know, we had the uh, three day weekend, and I actually somewhat kicked back and relaxed, like Monday. Basically, I didn't do anything, which is pretty rare for me. But I didn't get any like I purposefully decided not to do any useful work one day and it was nice i feel a lot better also i was having to take uh, melatonin to sleep and that's been going on for quite a while and i was able to stop that over the holiday weekend that's cool. and actually get a get a full night's sleep so big wins there how about you well i survived my first week as a lead developer yeah i mean that wasn't too bad as it was mostly meetings to get to know the team my manager said she'd normally not schedule so many meet and greets, but because we aren't in the office, she thought it best to introduce me to everyone by the team they're on. So last week was a bunch of that and set up. This week, uh, I'm meeting other teams. We kicked off the project that I'm going to be on this morning. That was kind of cool. We had the big meeting for that. It was like an hour and a half, two hour long meeting. Just going through like where it's replacing a big monolith, not microservices, but more of a application services. So instead of having this huge monolithic application, it's like that was built in like the late 90s, early 2000s. It's going to you know, be a bunch of smaller applications that interact with each other. Which is kind of cool. I like that better because the issue they've had with the big monolith is if you need to fix one part of it, you have to go through like the whole change. Like, how is it going to affect everything else and retest everything? And yeah, just a big pain. And so this is going to make it a lot easier for a lot of things maintenance wise with this. And this is one of the the big core applications that everybody touches. Of course, I'm like, yep. Thanks, guys. Bring me in. Brand new lead developer. Stick me right on the uh, leading the front end team for this when I've been doing API work for the past few years. So, Oh, it'll be a great learning experience. 
<laughs> Literally, yeah. the entire experience. Yep, yep, yep. Where do you think this uh, the idea for this episode came from? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wondered when I saw it. I was like, eh, I wonder. Eh, could be. <laughs> I did uh, meet the CIO this past Friday. He is an Enneagram Type 4. First one that I've met that knew for sure. And I mean, he actually paid to take the full version of the Enneagram test. Wow. Yeah. He said at one time he was looking into having everyone in the uh, the IT department take it as sort of just a corporate training thing. And so he went and paid for it and took it and everything. And then I think something else came up and they ended up not doing that. But he knows for sure that he is a four. And I was like, that's really cool. So we had a, a fun conversation. He uh, listened to the podcast to prepare beforehand. So thankfully, our type four <laughs> episode was already out. So he listened to that one. Though he did point out that my about me section was a bit out of date since it said that I was a junior developer. Yeah. <laughs> now you're a lead. I mean, that, yeah. like after you said something the other day, I looked at mine and it's pretty bad too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I actually went and updated mine. I, I took the, when I got the, the lead job, I updated my profile on like uh, sessionize and other CFP sites and then used that to update my LinkedIn when I posted the new job on LinkedIn. And so I use that as sort of the core and then within our, uh, our own structure that we have there went and updated everything. So that's kind of cool. Other than that, I've mostly been cleaning my place and working on checklists and tech manuals for church. I'm writing a training manual for our camera techs. You know, everyone comes to the team with a different level of knowledge and talent. And since we've started training some new production leads, like so far, it's just been either myself or our team lead. And we kind of know where everyone is and what they can and can't do or what they're working on, that sort of stuff. And since we're training some new ones, I'm going to create a leveling system. So it's easy for whoever's in that lead position to know what camera shots a particular tech can do and what they're trained for. They're not calling you know, one of our more advanced shots to a new camera tech or a camera tech who, you know, may have started off because we had some who came to us with zero experience and they're working their way up, but they might have been on the team as long as someone else. But the other person came in having years of videography experience. And so they moved up a lot quicker. That'll be like this easy reference for them because I'm going to create like a a sheet that just says, you know, they'll be able to look and say, oh, you're, you're level two. So this is the list of shots that you can get. The whole idea there is to, to help them out and just make life easier for everyone overall. Saving money is hard, especially when you don't feel like you know what you're doing. Our friend Lucas Casares is a fee only certified financial planner. He runs and owns Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at CDP, 
his focus is on helping you not only establish a real plan for your financial life, but also to take action so that you can live the best version of that life. Yeah. And he knows what he's doing and he will help you to know what you're doing. Uh, Investing in a financial planning service really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. And if you're not sure that you can do it financially, I've got good news because Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. Yeah. So guys, you can find some fun, free resources and learn more about Level Up Financial Planning at levelupfinancialplanning.com. So we're going to start off with a quote from Maya Angelou that says, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everyone and they're going to find me out. That sounds familiar as an author. <laughs> like you never stop feeling that way. You're yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, somebody's going to call me on at any minute. I mean, it's it's kind of like having a podcast, honestly. You're, you never have an accurate assessment of where you sit. So this is part of the reason why we're talking about imposter syndrome is because we kind of all do this. Uh, imposter syndrome was first identified by doctors Pauline Rose Clance and Susan Amis in a paper in 1978. At first, they thought it only affected women, but further research indicates that it affects people no matter their gender. It's a feeling of inadequacy, a sense that you're not qualified or talented enough to do your job. In many cases, it's a feeling that you just can't live up the expectations of a job because you're a fraud. In her book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It, which is a very long title for a book, but a good book nonetheless. Dr. Valerie Young breaks down imposter syndrome into five subtypes to better address the different ways that it affects people. These types are based on research by Dr. Young into the internal rules that people create for themselves when dealing with those fraudulent feelings of inadequacy. Most people who struggle with imposter syndrome we'll be able to identify with one of these types. The perfectionist sets very high standards for themselves, and if they don't meet them, they feel like a failure. The expert feels like they should know every little thing before they consider themselves competent. A person who is naturally gifted will feel inadequate if they struggle to learn or do something. And the soloist type feels that they have to do everything on their own, and they're a fraud if they ask for help. Finally, the superhuman will push themselves harder than their coworkers in order to prove that they're not an imposter. In this episode, we'll start by gaining an understanding of imposter syndrome. If you go back, we've had several episodes on uh, imposter syndrome, and some of this may sound familiar because I pulled it from some of those episodes. You imposter, you fraud. I know, right? I caught you. Everybody (laughs) knows now. We're going to talk about what it is and how people come to have it. Then we'll take a deep dive into the five different types of imposter syndrome. For each one, we'll discuss its defining characteristics, how individuals with this type view themselves, where it can lead, and finally, how to overcome it. And if after listening, you think you might have one of these types, then we encourage you to check out the aftercast 
because there we're going to discuss some questions to ask yourself to see if you have one of these imposter syndromes. If you don't have one, we'll also discuss how to help new team members who might have one of them. So first off, understanding imposter syndrome. What is imposter syndrome? Generally, it's a crippling feeling that you're a fraud and in imminent danger of being found out. Uh, For the majority of developers, this is kind of part of the journey and or part of learning a new JavaScript framework. It's also a phase (laughs) that repeats itself over time. (laughs) Will, does that sound familiar? Because you wrote most of that. I just... uh... (laughs) The wording did sound familiar, actually. I was like, that doesn't sound like Beeves way you wrote that. Okay, I feel better now. (laughs) Yeah, I pulled that from an episode you wrote back in 2017. Well, I was looking at you going, did he get hit in the head? I don't see any signs. <laughs> he hadn't changed his English. Yeah. All right. no, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I was looking for material for this. And I was like, well, let me see what we've already got. And you had some very well-written stuff. I just sort of tweaked it to make it fit with this episode. So, But uh, that's a really great overview. It is like this feeling that not only that you are a fraud, but like you say in here, that you're in imminent danger of being found out. Yeah, if you feel like you're a fraud, but you don't feel like you're going to get caught, then you feel smarter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's not imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is that it's almost a, a type of anxiety, really. Yeah. Now, it's officially defined as Feelings of inadequacy relating to professional endeavors, even though experience and knowledge are proficient for the task. It's basically the idea that you know what you're doing, you know what to do. You may be learning a new JavaScript framework, but you've been working in JavaScript for 10 years. So, you know, picking up a new framework. It's just part of the the daily grind. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the nasty thing about it is that the smarter you are, the longer it takes for the imposter syndrome to hit you. You know, if you feel like you're kind of BSing your way through things, the smarter you are, the more likely it is that a particular situation isn't going to result in you being found out or it's going to make you feel that way. And... So you'll be further along before you start expecting it all to come crashing down. Or you may not even get that sense of you're faking your way because for a long time, like going so far, you didn't have to and you didn't struggle and it was easy. So you kind of honestly, how many of us coasted through high school making A's and B's without putting in much effort? I mean, I didn't really learn to study until I went to med school. Yeah, I got a pretty good dose of it in college. (laughs) Honestly, what got me more than math classes, math classes were still a lot. And the biology classes and some of the chemistry and those kind of things got me a Mm -hmm. little bit. But what really nailed me were the Bible classes. Some of the Bible classes that we had, (laughs) we had that one professor. I can't remember the guy's name, but I think he was old enough. He was there. (laughs) could speak like three or four different languages and you couldn't be wrong on anything on his test or he would just nail you. Yeah. I was smart enough not to take those classes. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I wasn't smart enough to know to ask you who those teachers were. So I just (laughs) always found out the hard way. (laughs) Yeah. uh, 
No, a lot of times with um, what will happen here is it hits you harder the later it shows up. And so you'll be going along and you may have a master's degree in computer science. And all along, you've you did great in academia. You you learned how to do things academically. You learned how to code in academia and stuff like that. And you go all the way through, you get a master's degree and then you get out into the workforce and you're hit with legacy code that was written by someone who barely made it through college and just was trying to get by. And so there's like all sorts of craziness and you can't go in and fix it all. And or you're you're hit with something where you get out and you've done C++ and Java all through school and you live in Nashville so it's a .net city and now you're like I'm supposed to be an expert I've written like all this stuff I've written all this low level stuff and now I'm doing web development you know the thing is is it hits at plateaus you'll learn for a while and you'll feel great about it. And then you, you hit a point where you don't feel like you're growing, which I would almost say that's the root of it because you typically do not notice your own growth for a Mm -hmm. minute. Like your periods of your greatest growth, you you don't catch it. You know, you don't see it until you look back and you go, Holy crap. I've noticed that, you know, learning a foreign language, it's the same kind of deal. There'll be points where I just absolutely despair. And I feel like, man, I've put in so much effort here in the last month or two and I've gotten nothing. And then something will click. And, you know, it's like all that work made it click, but you don't have the ability to actually see that until it's done. Yeah, that's the same thing with learning music because I didn't realize it until I really until I started learning development, just how much you have to grind to like, it's not that you have to grind to grow. It's you have to grind to build a foundation for growth. And that's the same thing with music. It's you just practice the same kind of stuff over and over and over again. And then, you know, you go off and do something else and you come back and all of a sudden you're playing it without a problem because you built that foundation and you could vary it. That's the other thing that blows my mind that musicians will do is they will learn something and they grind on it until they get it perfect. And then there, there's like another point a little bit ahead of that where all of a sudden they can they can do something different. I try to think about like, could you do that with poetry? <laughs> like seriously, like yeah. if you learn, I don't know, if you learned the, the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe and you decided to add your own verse in the middle while you were reciting that, could you do it? I don't know. There's probably somebody out there that can, but that seems very strange to me. But it's also something that I have to be able to do with the language learning. It's also something you do with coding. Yeah. And it just pops out. But again, you don't know that you can do it until usually you've done it. And all of a sudden you're like, holy crap. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it just flows out. And, yeah. and so that's really the thing I would really try to drive in as far as the imposter syndrome is that you're not an accurate measure of your own situation and other people are more likely to actually have a clue than you are. Mm-hmm. Now let's go into a few of the symptoms of imposter syndrome to help understand like what it is. We've talked about kind of the general idea 
of it, but like how you can recognize it in yourself or in others. Yeah. So the first one is a sense that success is impossible and that past successes and hard work were only due to luck. Uh, you and I have a mutual friend who's very much like this. He sounds like Eeyore off of Winnie the Pooh. And yeah, what do you do with that? You can't, you can't get anywhere with that attitude. When everything is all past successes are just due to luck, then you have nothing driving you. Yeah. Well, and all future failures are going to be due to luck versus you just not putting in the work, which is the other side of that same friend. <laughs> no. Uh, next is the, the idea that you are incompetent, even though you consistently demonstrate competency. So this goes back to that like official definition where you feel inadequate, even though you have the experience and knowledge. There's a, a quote from a guy that was at a conference talking to somebody and he basically says something, to the effect of, you know, like these people at the conference are all really accomplished and I don't feel like I should be there. And the other guy goes, well, you were the first man on the moon. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe, maybe this doesn't fit. I forget the exact quote, but it was just kind of one of those. Wow. That's, uh, you know, like if you're, you're at that point, you've been further from earth than just about everybody, like literally straight up and you still can't get over that. <laughs> I don't think it's straight up. I think they go to bit of an, Oh yeah, they do. Uh, a, a All right, Kerbal boy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I haven't played that game in a while. That's that's a lot of fun. Another symptom is a fear of not meeting expectations of others or being uncomfortable with receiving praise or congratulations. Now, I will say this: I still am a little uncomfortable with praise. It's not so much of a fear thing most of the time or a imposter syndrome thing. It's a I wonder what they want because <laughs> I've had to deal with some narcissists. Remember, this is these are symptoms. Yeah. These are not yeah. like if you have one of these, it doesn't mean you have imposter syndrome. It's you have a few of these. It's an indicator that imposter syndrome is the likely cause. And then the final one that we're going to talk about, there are more than these, but I kind of distilled them down to to these four and just kind of wanted to give you guys an overall sense of how to tell. But the final one is being disappointed with your accomplishments and feeling under pressure to do better the next time. And this one's kind of tricky because it's hard to tell the difference in this between this and being just driven. And I think a lot of it has to deal with like the disappointment more than the, hey, I'm going to do better next time. Yeah. Well, it's it's not just a... I want to do better next time or I'm going to work harder so that I can do better next time. It's more of an, I have to do better next time. They're going like, I'm going to be found out as a fraud if I don't do better next time. Now we're going to briefly go through some times when developers are likely to get imposter syndrome. And uh, I pulled this from an episode from last year on promotional imposter syndrome. I don't even remember that episode, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we recorded it in April of last year, if I remember correctly. Actually, it's right in front of me. Let me just pull it up and tell you. We recorded it, uh, yeah, April 7th last year. Well, okay. I just didn't remember <laughs> it. Um, act surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, we've recorded what, like 53 or... Probably about 60 episodes since then. So, yeah, I see it right here. 
So guys, the majority of the time someone suffers from imposter syndrome occurs right after they've gotten promotion, a promotion. Uh, they usually have to take on a new responsibility and feel that they're not good enough or won't be able to find a mentor in that new role. Yeah. And another one that happens is when junior developers just start out, uh, they kind of have this fear that they don't know enough about coding or the business to actually be successful and useful. And they're concerned that they're going to break stuff or that they don't know what to focus on when they're working on a large project. Yeah, that's that's a big one is especially if they don't have someone assigning them tasks, as in if they're like on a team that's doing Kanban and it's just grab a task, even if the tasks are prioritized, they might be like, I don't know if I should grab that one. Maybe I should get on to the next one. That one looks really big. I don't know if I should do that one. And you kind of get this little bit of analysis paralysis going on because they don't know which task to take on and spend too much time overanalyzing their own abilities and which ones they should take when really they should just grab the top task. And if they struggle with it, seek help. Yeah. And that's actually the best way to get help, by the way, is because a senior dev will jump in and actually work with you for a while instead of it being a little piddly thing. So another place where this occurs is when a developer moves up to mid-level, they may not feel like they're going to get as much mentoring or support as they got before. Um, And by the way, this is continuous. You're going to get that from now on. Uh, They also fear being overwhelmed by the amount of work or that they're moving up in their career too fast, uh, which are also both things that you're going to have from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that is. Or you're worried that you're not moving at all. Yeah, I can see that. It was interesting for me because we don't have mid-level where I work. It was junior, advanced, and then lead. They used to have junior, mid, senior, and then lead. But they kind of, they did this restructuring uh, before I came on and they merged the mid and senior into this advanced role. And so you have some advanced developers who have been developing for three or four years, they just moved out of being junior and you have some who've been developing for 20 years. And the the only way to tell the difference sometimes is by the amount of gray hairs. But when you have second career and third career and fourth career coders, that's not always a good indicator. Yeah. Well, you got the gray hair now, so (laughs) there you go. Speaking of gray hair. Yeah, yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Finally, senior developers worry that they are no longer the learner and don't know enough to be the expert yet. You know, they're afraid to ask questions because that's going to make them appear unknowledgeable. Yeah. And been there, done that quite a bit. Beach and I both have to deal with that. That's something else, else that doesn't go away. I think that's why... Some people switch careers every three or four years because when you're the new guy, even though you're a senior developer, the new guy gets to ask questions. Uh huh. And as that new guy wears off, they they start looking for a new job where they can ask questions again, and they can get a pay raise. But <laughs> it could oh, yeah. be both. <laughs> it's definitely an issue in this industry. Now we're going to uh, spend the rest of the episode talking about the five types of imposter syndrome. 
in the intro, Will kind of gave us an overview of each one of these. We're going to dive deep into them, talk about the particular type, what can happen if it kind of goes to the extreme, and how to overcome it. So the first one is the soloist, and this is a strong and independent person. Uh, They accomplish their tasks without the assistance of anyone else. They believe that they can get everything done on their own without help from others. And I can tell you that there have been some stretches in my career that this is definitely one way that it has manifested for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I should be able to do design. Oh, I should be able to do database design. Oh, I should be able to architect a distributed app. Oh, I should be able to write the manual. And it's like, yeah, I can do all that stuff, but I don't need to be doing all that. Like there's tasks that are not valuable for me to be doing and for me to feel like ripping off my employer because I focus on the things that I'm better at. That's that's definitely a, a situation I've found myself in more than once. <laughs> I've I've seen you do this both in the workforce and on private, like personal projects where it would just be easier for you to, to either use a free tool, buy a tool, pay someone to, to do something. And you're like, Oh, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And then you're like, I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) Or I just plow through and I hate every minute of it. That's, that's the other thing you do too. Yeah. I have to be honest, that drives me a little bit. Like if I'm slightly ticked off, I'm very, very effective. And I fortunately know that, so it's um, it works to not my benefit. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the soloist, though, is they view themselves as a failure if they need assistance to perform a task. They have a lot of trouble asking for help with anything, even something they're not good at doing or something that requires multiple people to do. Sometimes you need two people to lift that couch. Made up. or you know carry that dryer up the stairs we carried that there was two of us for that one (laughs) that's true (laughs) we needed four people (laughs) it's like i don't know what kind of model of dryer that was that was so heavy (laughs) because i've moved i've moved dryers since then it was like that that wasn't that bad like what was the deal with that one (laughs) (sighs) yeah yeah. (laughs) i just completely lost track oh yeah here you go so A soloist will derive their value or sense of self-worth from their independence and autonomy. Asking for any type of assistance is tantamount to admitting that they're not good enough. And by the way, you'll see this with people starting small businesses too, where they feel like Mm -hmm. they got to wear every hat and they're not really an entrepreneur until they do that. And then they never get anything off the ground. Yeah. Now, if they're not careful the soloist will reach a point where they stop learning or taking on difficult tasks. They'll just be like, I they'll either get overwhelmed with all the stuff they're doing, or they will get so self-conscious that they can't do it themselves. They won't take on a task that they might have taken on six months ago and been like, I got this. Because you will learn a lot just driving through and grinding through. But when you get overwhelmed like this, you won't try it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also a, they don't want to take something on because they're afraid that they won't be able to do it themselves. And they don't want to be seen as a fraud. They'll reach a point in their careers where they can't go any further without guidance. But not being able to ask for it 
may even cause them to go backward in their career. Yep. And we've seen that in our social circle a bit. Unfortunately, failure at higher levels doesn't drive them to seek assistance. Instead, it drives them to feel inadequate and to hide behind lesser tasks. So this happens a lot when you have somebody that gets into management. They'll decide mm-hmm. to continue coding instead of like getting their team more effective. And it's like, look, that dude, that's not why you get the pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, y'all, being independent is not a bad thing. We've talked about that throughout this point. It's when that independence comes from a fear of if I can't do it myself, then I'm a failure and I can't do things. To overcome the soloist imposter syndrome, you have to realize there's no shame in asking for help when you need it. You know, when faced with a difficult problem, seek advice from a lead developer, or even a coworker with more experience. Yeah, I think it's something that it's really easy for us to forget because we're in the business of solving problems is that we're in the business of seeing that problems get solved. Yeah. Not that we're in the business of actually solving problems because like you may need to get somebody else and it, it's okay because the company that's paying you or the whatever entity is paying you, they're doing it because they want to get rid of a problem. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the solution to to the problem is to hand it off to someone else or to get someone else to work on it with you. Right. And, you know, there are no support groups for people who have schadenfreude. So, you know, like it's not considered a societal problem to hand things off. <laughs> yeah. wow. There you go. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to move on to talking about the expert. The expert is an extremely knowledgeable person who doesn't feel that they're good enough no matter how much information they gather. They believe that before taking any action, they must know everything about a situation. I kind of grouped these a little bit. The expert is very similar to the soloist. Um, It's just that their, their drive is a little bit different, whereas the soloist is, I've got to do it all myself. The expert is, I have to be the one true source of knowledge. I have to have all the information. Yeah. If you put it in a fear perspective, right? Like the soloist is like, Hey, I don't want them to find out that I can't do it. Whereas the expert is like, I don't want them to find out that I don't know. Yes, that is very good. Yeah. When the expert doesn't know an answer or have detailed knowledge of a topic, they feel less experienced than their colleagues, even their younger, literally less experienced colleagues. No matter how much they learn or know about a topic, they're always going to feel unprepared. Yeah, the self-worth of the expert is wrapped up in their knowledge base, uh, how much they know about a variety of topics. Because they measure competence on what and how much they know, the expert fears others finding out that they don't know something. Yeah, so this is something that I kind of had to get over coming out of med school because it is like hammered into you in med school that you have to know all the answers because you're going to be the doctor. You're going to be the person they're going to. You're the expert. You're the one that has to have all the answers to all the questions. Right. So you're, you, you can get away with, I don't know. I'll look that up as long as you looked it up a couple of times. But if you said that more than two or three times, then 
Like you, you got a, a lecture. Getting a lecture doesn't really seem like much of a threat, but uh, at that point, but yeah, I mean, you, you had this transition period and I remember when you went through that, when it was from, I got to know because I'm going to be the doc to, I'm going to look things up in the docs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, dude, you, you don't, you don't have to know that. Like, it's great that you do, you're never going to use it, but you know, feel free to collect it like a bunch of knickknacks if you want knowledge that way. But you know, you, you don't have to feel bad for not knowing. And, and that does definitely seem like something that you struggled with early on. I think you're past that now. Because yeah, well, you've, well, you've you've developed a JavaScript, and so you've got some learned helplessness going on here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it it was one of those things that not really my natural state. It's it was learned behavior when I was in med school, and so it wasn't very difficult for me to unlearn that. The problem solving is more my natural state. Taking information, going and looking up information, and knowing how to use it is more where I. I thrive personally. And that's what we do in development. It's you, there's some base knowledge you have to have, but you gain that just from repetition, but like syntax and those types of things. But it's understanding how to like basically problem solving, like we've been talking about. That's the big thing here. The expert is, and I'm sure we, we've all worked with, with people like this who they have to be the person who knows everything. Yeah, I worked with a guy like that and it was it, it was constantly him trying to show that he knew something you didn't. Mm-hmm. And you're you're like, okay, but like if we look at the Kanban board, who's actually closed the ticket this week? <laughs> Not you. That's something I know. And apparently something you don't. Yeah. If not careful, this can lead the expert to miss growth opportunities because they either feel that they already know the topic or that they don't know enough to be of use and to learn. So they either think, all right, well, I've, I got this. I already know enough about this. I don't need to go to this training. Or they might say, Hey, I haven't coded in JavaScript in like five years. So it's completely different now. I can't do this. I got to go catch up before I can, I can learn, you know, TypeScript. Well, and the the fun part is, is they'll they'll often do both. Yeah, that's you know, it, it's, no, it's, it's well, it's not it's not a they either always do one or always do the other. It's in any given situation, yeah. it's they they would respond either way, um, and it's a matter of protecting that identity they have of being the expert. Yeah, they they may lose out on potential jobs because they don't feel they have enough expertise for the role, especially if it's a lead developer position and they've been doing .NET MVC for years and this is Web API. And they're like, oh, well, I've been doing MVC. I don't know Web API, so I, I can't even apply for this job. Yeah. And, and a lot of that too is just like let the other party decide whether you're good enough. <laughs> like don't <laughs> yeah. but, well that's something that I have to face too, because like when I applied for this lead position, I thoroughly did not expect to get it. I was like, you know, I'm applying to get some practice applying to a lead position because I've never applied to one before. And because I barely met the minimum requirements. 
like for for time and grade kind of thing. Like, yeah, I will say that you're ready before probably. Yeah, like it's it's like every job you've had in development. You know? <laughs> um, that's yeah. I, I don't want to get into a you know just like beating you over the head with that, but maybe you you, you ought to. So anyway, to overcome expert imposter syndrome, Beach. Begin with practicing just-in-time learning on small or side projects. Rather than hoarding knowledge, begin to mentor junior developers or volunteer at a code school, which is what you've done, by the way. That's why your growth curve has been faster than normal. That has has definitely helped the podcast. It's one of those things that if you... And this is, this is one of those weird things. This is a little side note for you guys, but coming up with material every other week really, like boost your your skill but every week talking about it and like learning from the perspective of i'm learning this so that i can teach this even when i don't come up with it it uh, it has you could basically say that the two of us have each gotten an additional 1000 hours of learning in the last 5 years that our our coworkers have not mm-hmm. just as a result of the podcast you know, yeah. Bear in mind, we're doing all the other stuff everybody else is doing, too. That's true. Speaking of that, the next one is the Enneagram Type 1. I mean, the perfectionist. <laughs> <Huh>. Personally attacked. <laughs> hey, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, well, you had to throw it back at me. It's, it's fine. Exactly. Exactly. So the most common form of imposter syndrome is you know, being a perfectionist. Uh, perfectionist basically set almost impossible standards themselves. They always strive to be their very best, no matter what it costs them. And they'll burn themselves out striving for excellence. And yeah, this is very relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you were talking about the soloist, I'm like, all the points you're hitting on are the ones that they share in common with the perfectionist. I knew you would, like, perfectionists feel a sense of inadequacy when they cannot accomplish everything or learn every new skill they tend to be very task oriented and when they can't check off all of their tasks they begin to feel like an imposter like well i'm not able to check off all these tasks even though my task list is twice as long as everyone else's right and they got through 98 percent of it and there's the one thing that bugs them and they can't like you know, some floating div is just nailing them. <laughs> Not that that's been a recent experience. Um, that sounds very familiar it, to me too, but I don't think I told you about that. It's, it's just what floating divs do. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they're not careful, a perfectionist can become a control freak or micromanager. Um, I think you and I really both had this early on in the podcast, like trying to make everything perfect. And it's like, yeah, it's, it'll, get there like practice will get it there like freaking out about it will not yeah that's that's true perfectionists start to take on the attitude that if they want it done correctly they have to do it themselves will yeah and i mean this is definitely something i will say that i struggle with i think the other thing that i i note that isn't quite here is realizing that not every task has to be done perfectly you know it's like okay i took the trash can to the street does that really like what's the variance here that I'm allowed? Like if I dump it in the yard, that's probably not okay. But anything shy of that, it's a trash can. Yeah. And 
one thing with a with perfectionist tendencies is you don't seem to be able to spot those tasks and go, hey, this doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. The thing is, uh, with the perfectionist, their insecurities about if they don't do it just right, they're going to be seen as a fraud. This will prevent them from even starting a project until the perfect time. Or it could cause them to delay working on something until they know they will get it right. Yeah. And the thing is, is you get it right on the third version. Yeah. Microsoft. (laughs) That's only because they don't get it right on the third version. So for a perfectionist, even a small setback will engender feelings of incompetence and self-doubt. They don't look at mistakes as learning opportunities. They just see them as evidence that they're an imposter. So they avoid minimize and even try to hide mistakes. When really the thing is with a mistake, if you make it public, you learn more than you learned not making a mistake. They also struggle to feel accomplished when they are successful. They're never satisfied with their existing success because they think they could have done it better. And this is very similar to the soloist. And to overcome this sort of imposter syndrome, the perfectionist has to learn to celebrate their accomplishments and find contentment in a job well done or just a job done. Full stop. Mistakes are a way of learning and becoming better. And you're not going to truly understand something until you've really been messed up by it a few times. Like it goes back to the whole anti-fragile stuff that we talked about earlier in the year. Yeah, it really is. This is where perfectionists really struggle is they struggle with agile because the point of agile is to move quickly and break things, make mistakes so that you learn from them. And, and to they, employ lots of consultants. But <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they they really struggle with that. Yeah. So next is the one that I most identify with. And that is the, the natural genius. <laughs> really? <laughs> it took him a moment. He wasn't looking at the screen. Oh, I was looking. I was just like, <laughs> all right, is he going to actually say it? <laughs> Sorry. I, just, I couldn't <laughs> keep a straight face on that one. The natural genius places their identity and self-worth in their ability to quickly pick up a new skill. They don't like anything that challenges their sense of genius or the idea that they can learn anything with ease. You'll see this in small children, by the way. This is imposter syndrome for five-year-olds. Honestly, I, I, joking aside about the name of this one, I do pride myself in my ability to pick up new skills quickly. That is one of my talents. And that is an area that I have in the past had some insecurities about is if it took too long. That's why I I was in my 30s before I really started learning guitar because when I was 13 and got my first guitar, went to lessons, I didn't pick it up immediately. Like it wasn't yep. easy, like computers were easy. And so I was like, oh well, I had this attitude that it was Literally talent. That's all it was. And I was like, I just don't have the talent for that. So I'm not going to do this. That was a type of imposter syndrome there. Yeah. Although I will say that your worldview is not necessarily bad in that sense that it funnels you towards the things you can pick up quickly. (laughs) You know, which like is legit. You know, that's how you you work in a society with division of labor effectively. Like it's it's not bad. It's just when it stops you from moving forward. That's when it becomes an issue. Mm hmm. Natural geniuses feel insecure if it takes too long to pick up a new skill. 
they'll see themselves as a fake or an imposter if they're unable to acquire new skills or learn new technologies immediately. That's kind of what I was getting at was when I was younger and I started learning the guitar, I didn't have that natural talent as I saw it. You know, I couldn't just play like my dad or my grandfather. And so I saw them as, oh, they've got this natural talent. What I didn't see was, you know, my grandfather practicing for three or four hours every night. Yeah, for years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it's just, it's one of those things, like, you, you know, I didn't see that as, like, I didn't immediately pick it up. And so many other things I had, I just saw it as, all right, well, I, rather than saying, hey, I have to put in the work, I said, hey, I don't have the talent for music. So, like, I just wrote it off. So I didn't feel like an imposter. Yeah. And the natural genius will set overly high expectations for themselves. And then they judge themselves based on how they did it the first time, which causes you to feel like an imposter because things don't come easily in general. And if you have to exert any effort, it feels like you're exerting more effort than the people that you see that are doing well because you didn't see the effort that they had to put in already. Yeah. This leads to defensiveness and frustration, either at the training material or the person, the tutor who's helping them out, blaming them for not teaching correctly. Like I said, in my case, it it came out as when I was younger as I just don't have the talent for this. So I stopped doing it. Yeah. And this, I mean, the, the defensiveness and the frustration really kind of piles up and it'll make you quit when things get too tough. So you run the risk of, you know, in development of becoming a hello world expert because you, you know, the basics. And so you're like, well, I'll try the basics in a different language versus trying something more difficult in the language I'm already in. And you and I know quite a few people that have written hello world programs in the half dozen languages or more and can't get a job because they can't do anything. Somebody will pay for. Cause when, it, when it gets tough, they move on to a new language. We saw that a lot in the early days of uh, running our meetup group. So for the natural genius to overcome their imposter syndrome, they need to see themselves as a work in progress. Most things worth doing take time to learn and they involve making mistakes and failing along the way. And the natural genius doesn't like that. So they, this is something they need to work on. So the last one we're going to talk about is the superhuman. Of course, it's the last one because there's five of them and this is number five. (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) The superhuman is a person whose sense of inadequacy causes them to work harder than anyone else and they kind of get a bit of a work addiction. They'll work harder than the people around them to prove to themselves and others that they're worthy. So if you're working a 70-hour week and your coworkers are working 40, even if they're better than you, the thought is that you could just kind of saturate the perception of the other people. Mm -hmm. The superhuman imposter is addicted to the validation that comes from overwork, not the actual working itself. Like some people, they overwork because they're addicted to, they like that adrenaline rush they get from overwork or they have a sense of, I have to get this accomplished and that accomplishment is what drives them. For the superhuman imposter, it's that validation. It comes from working harder than anyone else, and it gives them sort of a reprieve from their insecurities about being a fraud. 
They also tend to set very high expectations of themselves in order to measure up to the people around them. And then they work extra hard to meet those expectations. So this can be, you know, expectations like in the form of family tasks, work obligations, volunteerism, pretty much anything that's around them. Just jump into. Yeah. Uh, and they have to do it all or they feel like they're a phony. Mm-hmm. If not careful, this need to succeed in everything will quickly lead to burnout. This will in turn affect not only their ability to perform, creating sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but also their mental and physical health and can affect their relationships, like their ability to do their job like the physical ability to do their job can be affected by this. Yeah. Like if you get an RSI or you start having migraines or whatever, mm-hmm. or you have a heart attack, you're, you're not going to be able to work effectively to overcome this type of imposter syndrome. You have to train yourself to get validation internally and to not rely on external validation for a job well done. This will build up your confidence in your own abilities and help you become able to accept constructive criticism and feedback. So guys, imposter syndrome hits us all at some point in our education or career. Typically, this happens when we've just moved up uh, or started a new job, gotten into a new school. Uh, However, it can occur at any point. When it hits, it affects each of us differently and may even affect you differently the different times it surfaces. Will and I talked about different times that we've had several of these types of imposter syndromes. This episode, these types are guides to help understand how imposter syndrome is affecting you or others. Use them to identify behaviors that may be due to an underlying imposter syndrome that you can address and overcome. And check out the aftercast if you are curious about which one you have you know, thinking that you might have an imposter syndrome, because we're going to talk about some questions that you can ask for each one to help determine which one, like between the ones that are similar that you might have. Or if you're not feeling inadequate, listen to hear ways you can help others avoid it when they start a new role. That's pretty much all we've got before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I'll also add an interesting thing that I've personally noticed as I've as I've grown (laughs) because I had to for the podcast and for everything else that feeling of imposter syndrome is often a signal that you're in a position that will make you learn more Um, now it's still dysfunctional but the fact like if you get burned you know the water's hot is kind of a way to to think about it and a lot of times when you're when you're at the point where you're like hey I don't know if I can do this I'm afraid I'm going to get called out as a fake it's because you're in a situation that you're going to look back on and go, hey, this this made me grow. This really changed who I am in a lot of ways. So early on with the podcast, you know, I distinctly felt that way quite a bit of the time. Like I would be talking and be like, I shouldn't be talking in front of 50 people. Right. You remember those days? Yeah, and I would freeze. I remember that. And, you know, the thing is, is that was that was a huge, huge growth for me because I used to be painfully shy and couldn't handle like talking in front of small groups of people or being in a crowd or any of that kind of stuff and getting on a microphone once a week and having to talk in front of, you know, 50, a hundred, 200, 500, a thousand, et cetera, people, 
you get over it real quick. And yeah, you're going to feel imposter syndrome the whole way, but that's what growth feels like in a lot of respects. And so when you're at the point of feeling this, like don't feel bad about it. It just means you're in a point where you have a decision to make about whether you grow or not and recast it that way. And I think you'll probably feel a lot better about it, especially if you don't let the imposter syndrome win. And that's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.